When the Fun Stops Stop, welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Chris Brammer is here. Hello, how are you? I'm, you know, as expected really. I am (laughs) in a kind of neutral state. I'm not happy, I'm not sad, I'm not angry, I'm not elated, I'm just... I'm seven on the pH scale, I'm Switzerland, if, I'm whelmed, if, I'm completely whelmed, lads. If you had to sum it up with a noise. Yeah? Meh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and making a glorious return is, uh, confidence is a preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as Cartwright. <laughs> Wonderful. Wow. That's never happened to me before. <laughs> I thought you were going to say cart wrong or something like that. See, I, I I was um I was worried I'd already done that as a pod intro before, but I just went with it. <laughs> ben, yeah. I mean, ben, I feel like you've grown like a beard since we last saw you on the pod. Like at I've least it feels like it's on a desert island. This is what happens when you go to to Rome. And me. <laughs> this is this is my Roman beard. Yeah, well, how long has it been? Three weeks. I probably haven't shaved in that time. So, yeah, why not? See, I heard rumours uh, Ben was moving to Burnley. <laughs> and I was up in arms about that before I realised it was the other cart, right? Um, but are, are you now not regretting moving to a, a Burnley podcast and supporting Burnley? Burnley are all right. Burnley? Aren't Burnley doing really badly this season? Burnley are bad now. Um, the Sean Dyche era is over. And it also, it's Burnley. Have I ever been to Burnley? I've never been to Burnley. Well, you're missing out. Well, got hopefully, hopefully they'll pick me up. They've got that club where they drink that drink. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to tweet us if you know what the hell Ben is talking about. <laughs> They got that club. <laughs> Jesus. Are you getting confused with Bolton and the Phoenix Club from Peter Kay's Phoenix Nights? That's in the same I'm not, area. I know. Although. Burnley. Bur- are, are you being a Lancashire racist right now, Chris? A little bit. A little bit. Sorry. Yeah, Bolton and Burnley's the same. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. I forget. Kind of is. It, yeah. It's ben, it's for, the, for the listener. Because this is great audio content. Ben is currently Googling. What I can only imagine is Burnley... Benedictine. Oh. It's Benedictine, which is my name as well. Sorry for going over <laughs> you, but Benedictine. What is that? It's not, that's not actually my name. Um, <laughs> but the drink is... It's, it's drunk in a, cl- a working men's club in Burnley more than anywhere else in the world, I think. Like, more than in France where it's made because of a reason. <laughs> they get through a thousand bottles of the of the stuff a year, according to this Daily Mail online article. What's in but, uh, a Benedictine? Um, yeah, East Lancashire soldiers soldiers drank it in Normandy in the First World War, and they liked it, and they brought it back, and they still drink it to this day. People have a Benny bomb. That that's a thing. Apparently. Benny bomb. Yeah, or the classic is um, Benny and Art, where it's it's warm. Water and the liquor, which is Benedictine. I don't know what it tastes like. I think I have um, tried it, but you've not been. To, there we but go. You've not been to Burnley. I've not been to Burnley. But you've tried their um, drink. But, I've tr- but it, yeah, I mean, it is available in other places. Like you can buy it. You'd probably be able to buy it in all sort of big, big, big supermarkets. Maybe not the small ones, but 
it's very much enjoyed in Burnley, right. and and that's a reason why I was tempted when they came knocking uh, to sign the deal. See, you just scratch away at the surface, and there's more to places like Burnley than meets the eye. Um, I think we've put off sto- we've put off talking about Stoke for long enough, anyway. Okay, oh blimey, Stoke City two QPR two at the Bet Three Six Five Stadium. Stoke, we went ahead. Things were looking good, and then a late equaliser for Angel Rangel. Did not realise he was still a thing. <laughs> um, but what? What? Why didn't we win this one? Because this seemed like one we perhaps should and could have won. Uh, was it individuals? Was it tactics? Was it just damn bad luck? Ben, what did you make of it? Well, obviously, I think there's there's a certain level of unluck in hitting the post. Um, Quite convincingly, it was a convincing post hit. This wasn't a post hit that was a kiss. This was a, a thunk bounced straight back, which is always a good sign because it means it's closer to going in than the kiss. Um, obviously, then you also have two goals disallowed through offsides that probably were offsides but were very close. And, and if maybe if there'd been a touch of, well, obviously, if a man had been in a slightly different position, it would have counted, which would have been lovely because then we would have won most probably. So, yeah, I think it's unlucky. I mean, we created a fair few chances. I thought we looked better yesterday. Um, enjoyable. And, I mean, one of the takeaways I I sort of thought of as I rewatched the goals today was the happiness on the players' faces when Joe Allen scored the second goal. And it was, I, I don't know if they're always that happy. They probably are. But it just struck me. I, just, I saw that image and I was like, maybe... I'm gonna I'm gonna philosophize. Maybe this is the corner. Maybe we're starting to turn and that's complete load of rubbish, but maybe it might be a corner. Because we scored twice, which is a good thing. Scoring twice is a good thing. It's more than we scored for a while. Mm. There that, we go. That's interesting, uh, Ben, because I'd characterise the mood of uh, a lot of what I've seen on social media and stuff as very much not that. They're not seeing the positives of scoring two goals at home and creating those chances you're talking about there's still a lot of uh, talk about a lack of creating chances and uh, not enjoying the game not enjoying the kind of atmosphere around the club now but um, is that maybe expectation or do you see that argument as well yeah obviously I mean it's not it's not perfect at the moment it's never going to be perfect I think there's been quite a bit of discussion at the moment, and, and probably for a while as well, is that expectation, that sort of where what what role does do us as fans play in 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 securing a win for the team? And and a lot of people will be staunchly like, well, the players are there to sort of improve the mood, which they might be trying, and and maybe it's not working out. And I, I certainly think it was unlucky yesterday, so maybe there should be a bit of slack given there, but. Yeah, I mean, I understand both sides of the, of the argument. Obviously, um, I, I just really want to see a, a turnaround. And I think when we scored that second goal, and Joe Allen was sort of like beckoning his his, his teammates along beside him, I was like, well, that's more than at, at points we have seen with the Stoke team because at, at points it sort of seemed like everyone hates each other. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm sort of searching for a positive that isn't there, but. At the same time, it'd be nice if we had a team that did actually get along for once, and and maybe that's maybe that's what I was looking for. Uh, Chris, um, a lot of people are taking issue with Gary Rowett's tactics, uh, and the l- lot of calls on Radio Stoke last night for a switch to for 
two up top, usually in a four four two was the was the main suggestion. Uh, does that solve our goal scoring problems? No, not on its own. No, because because the issue isn't that we only have the one striker up front who who is isolated on in and itself. That I mean that is an issue, but the issue is that we don't create enough opportunities in and around the box. Now, obviously, having a striker, two strikers up front to support each other, means that they they are less isolated, but you're still going to require someone to drop deep and it doesn't solve the issue of the fact that we are not creating enough chances as it happens yesterday I did think that I, I kind of agree with Ben actually I really really enjoyed the game um, like the result was was disappointing but I, I felt I, I if we'd have lost that game uh, I don't think it would have been deserved um, I because I didn't think QPR were really that threatening. I think they had two. Their first goal was us completely switching off. Their second goal was, yeah, you can pick players who were at fault, but I thought it was a very very nice goal from Rangel. Um, so I, I I can understand people's frustrations that we we don't score enough goals, we don't create enough, but I don't think you solve that by simply putting two players up front what we need is we need more we need that more creative player i would much rather go to a um like a a a 4-2-3-1 and put boyan in an attacking midfield role who actually creates stuff and still have one striker at front because i think we just boyan ties the game together so much better but we know this we know we're boyan biased um I d- I, yeah, I, w- I would be up for something like that. I don't think in and itself putting playing four four two fixes anything, um, but I can understand the concern, the, the call for it rather. Yeah, and I think you've also got the issue with four four two of who do you put in the two? Because uh, I must say I thought Sado Berahino played very well in that uh, striker role yesterday, and Afobe was dropped, and kind of rightfully so. I know we've kind of lamented <laughs> the fact he's not quite gotten the service of. Uh, you know, other teams in the league might give him, but uh, Berrino, I thought, played very well. Obviously, he scored a goal from on the yard line, which goes in his greatest goals compilation, no problem. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, I thought his, um, his he showed a lot of strength, which he looks kind of like a weedy guy, but he didn't get mm-hmm. bullied by the QPR uh, defense, and he was uh, playing across the line quite a lot, which was good. Uh, I also think Tom Ince, uh, obviously. Pivotal in both Stoke goals, um, had one of his better games as well. And McLean had possibly the the weirdest uh, game uh, any Stoke <laughs> players had for a while because it, it it had to be James McLean that even just a random league game causes fans to be at each other's throats debating you know the the level of his performance. He was involved in one of the goals, and I thought in general played quite well yeah and yet you can point to him for both uh qpr goals so it reminds me a bit of when johnny walters uh scored two own goals and got sent off against uh, and uh, missed a penalty against chelsea sorry which is you know terrible when you look at it on paper but in that game i think he He was general played all right yeah he played all right yeah so it was uh, kind of one of those for me um did i enjoy the game 
and more than more than recent weeks, definitely, because we've been very binary, and this game had some excitement. It swung uh, either way, and there were signs of improvement there. But I don't think that's um, done much to win me round on the old Gary Rowett front, if you know what I yeah. mean. Uh, he's still. I still can't really point to any particular strengths he has as a manager other than kind of steering round a sinking defensive ship. So uh, if we're going to be generous to Gary Rowett, Ben, uh, what are we uh, kind of saying in his favour based on yesterday? Well, I mean, what are we saying in his favour? That's a great question. Um, I think the fact that we scored two goals, we we have to remember, I mean... Something that confused me in, in Gary Rowett's pre-Pesh conference was saying that we are creating the chances, we just need to finish them, which I don't think is a very accurate sort of representation of what has been going on, which is always concerning from a manager. Um, but yesterday we got the goals and that's the important thing. I want to start, obviously, as, as Chris mentioned, seeing Bojan again. I mean, I, the question that is in my mind is, at this stage of the season, with the amount of game time he's getting, is he going to stay in January? I don't think he will, so... It would be lovely for him to come into this sort of busy period to get a few more chances. Obviously, we're at home again on Wednesday. I think we, it is one of those where it's turning into a must-win. Four, I don't know, is it four or five draws on the bounce if we if we draw again on Wednesday? That's just bizarre, to be honest, and and something that we certainly don't want to to happen. So, I think he's he said before in the past that. Going away from home, it's difficult for him to go mega positive. We've got a second home game. As you say, there are the sort of growing, maybe, murmurs of a team that's turning it around. So let's go for it on Wednesday against a derby team that can be quite threatening um, and see what happens because we need the Stoke players to enjoy themselves, we need the Stoke fans to enjoy themselves. And it's sort of, it's always going to be a synergistic relationship where it's difficult to say where it comes from and, and we need a big performance and maybe it comes on Wednesday to maybe turn our season around for everyone involved with the club. Um, so I'd just say, if Gary Rowett, what, what, what would be a positive is if he sort of backs up what he says with his actions or with his lineup on Wednesday from, from here because it was a good performance, it wasn't perfect, so there's certainly areas that can be changed around um, and let's see if he changes them. Mm. It's a... It's an interesting one in terms of that atmosphere you mentioned and the kind of relationship between the kind of fan discontent and uh, the level of performance on the pitch. I mean, people will respond to kind of positive intent from Stoke. Like, even if we, you know, missed a hatful of chances, if we we create those chances, that builds up the atmosphere in the stadium easier than, than, you know, grinding out a 1-0 or a 0-0. So, it's that makes me kind of more worried about his comments after the match, which were to the effect of, uh, well, Allen and Klukas bombed forward a bit. So, you know, we had five in attack, which is just, you know, you can't pull our, pull the wool <laughs> over our eyes to that extent, Gary. I mean, just, just he's set up that midfield kind of so deep uh, that it's very hard for us to be continually creating chances and I know we're the kind of um, pro-Bojan delusionist but it doesn't necessarily have to be Bojan I mean Sado Berahino's played as a 10 uh, and it, we just need a link for yeah. me between 
the the front man and the midfield because uh, Woods isn't going to be that because he's the deepest centre mid. So we need some better way of connecting that front three, uh, the two wingers and the striker, and the midfield. And I can't work out what it necessarily is at the moment. Bojan is the most obvious one for me because he is natural number 10. But you've got the option of playing Allen or Klukas further forward. I think he maybe sees Klukas mm. as a you know more attacking midfielder. And I thought he played uh, relatively well yesterday, Klukas, on his debut. He obviously got assist for the first goal. So, uh, Chris, do you think that having kind of maybe absorbed some of the Rowett criticism that uh, the more immediate danger he faces is kind of losing losing the trust of the fan base because there there are seems to be a lot of knives out for him. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that there's a definite risk of that. Um, yes, I, I didn't go to the game yesterday. I watched it on on the computer, and I think that probably had more of an effect on me enjoying the game than if I'd have been there because. Um, I feel like the, the the crowd who are at the games have a tendency to be to be less patient. Now, whether that's because we went into this league with expectations of of running amok and winning from the off, and that that's not come to fruition, and we're not playing with the swagger that some were expecting, I I think that. I, I th- like. Don't get me wrong. I think that people are completely justified to be frustrated, but I do think that it's funny. For so long, we had people like arguing that Mark Hughes just needed patience. Oh, he just needs patience, and now it, uh, it seems that more and more people are just not feeling too chuffed with with Rowett. I don't think he plays the most attacking 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 brand of football um i to be to be fair like usually his uh, criticism is his substitutions are rubbish yesterday i thought his substitutions were actually quite spot on um i i think i think that's it we we came into this league with ideas that we were going to blow it out of the water and it hadn't been the case and sure rawer is due some criticism but also I think it's just the fact that I don't think this squad was prepared for this division and he, he could definitely do better I'm nowhere near a, a part where I'm like yeah he needs to, he needs to go he needs to be we need to get a replacement one because and uh you know stop me if you've heard this before I don't know who we'd get in to replace him and and two, I don't genuinely know if anyone could do better with the squad we have because, well, I mean, I say that like you can imagine someone having better time, but I just think that this this squad is a bit short and it needs confidence rebuilding. And we've said this a lot, but I I don't think if you got rid of Rowett tomorrow and brought in. Who another manager who is available like a realistic option? I don't think that it would be like Harry Redknapp's in the jungle. <laughs> but I don't think I don't. I think that's really that's a disappointing thought, though, isn't it? I I quite like to think I quite like to disagree with that in terms of just we saw this squad as being a squad that can 
to contend with the league like that hasn't changed like the players on our team have not played have not changed from from the players that we thought they were at the start of the season they're just not meeting the standards that we set and and whether that, that's us setting a standard too high I'm I'm not sure it is. I don't think I don't think Stoke fans are setting too high a standard to expect a team that is so settled in the Premier League to do well at the Championship. Like, is it that is it that difficult? And I think the worry with Rowett really is the long term worry is that it turns into that Mark Hughes annoying sort of him against the world slash Stoke fans, yeah. and it, where he sort of gets this attitude where oh the Stoke fans don't know what they're talking about and. I, I, you can certainly tell that he's one of those blokes that would definitely do that. He'd definitely get into that mindset where he's like, oh, well, these Soap fans don't know anything what they're talking about. This is all about me. Because we've seen it before with Mark Hughes and, and we've certainly seen signs of it, I'd say, with Gary Rowett. So we don't want to we don't want to see that. And, and it's threatening again. And it's right you say, Chris, we, he's hardly been given a chance. But I still wouldn't blame anyone for that because this squad is, is no. it should be a good squad and we've we made countless signings in the summer to improve yeah. it and we're still not improved so what can we hope for? I think I think that's just it like I I, I completely understand anyone who is um, really really frustrated by how we are because I think we're all frustrated it's just whether you're at the same um, end point with your frustration like I, I genuinely don't feel Maybe it's because I'm I'm apathetic, but I just I don't I don't know what we could do. I I don't know who we could get in, or or what that would that would make this team be inspired. Like Bielsa, I, like it's just yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. I, I sense Ben uh, really wants to talk to Bielsa, so we'll get on into a minute. But just something you said there, Chris, <laughs> was. Uh, it was quite telling, I think. Um, like like we said, yesterday was kind of one of the more entertaining games that have happened at the Bet365 Stadium this season. It wasn't always like that. There were times when it was uh, pretty turgid to watch. But, you know, on the course of the 90 minutes, you'd say 2-2 uh, home, home, uh, home draw with a pretty good QPR side. You know, uh, thought that Easy was a very good player for them. He certainly caught the eye. And... Uh, Jeff Cameron uh, wasn't playing for QPR, but they've done, you know, they've actually been raving about Jeff Cameron this season, the QPR fans. But they've gone really well under McLaren, having started poorly. So, you know, they're not a terrible side, and they've been on a really good run. Uh, so, but, you know, we've said this yeah, a lot this season, true. you know, this, yeah. the, the, this team isn't that bad. But what I was telling about the kind of atmosphere in the ground yesterday was. There were times when it was so quiet I could hear Ryan Shawcross shouting. And I don't think I've ever been able to hear Ryan Shawcross before. You know, sometimes I'd hear Tony Pulis when he was manager or, you know, one of the kind of louder players, if you like. But I heard Ryan having to go at uh, Martin Zindi for something. And he's like, blimey, this is, this is really quiet now. And like you say, Chris, you said you were kind of more apathetic about Stoke this season. And I think this is possibly the issue... Uh, and it might actually play out to Rowett's advantage. People m- might not be, you know, up in arms furious. I know there were boos and stuff, but people won't be as up in arms furious because they're just kind of apathetic now. They're kind of, we've been so shit for so long that they're kind of either bored of it or kind of they just switch off when the match is on and think about other things. And that's, that's a really sad place to be in. It wasn't like 
at the end of the Hughes era where we were angry, we wanted him gone, we were, you know, attacking the train at Stoke-on-Trent Station and all the rest of it. And I don't think, like, if we carry on as we are, plodding about in mid-table, I don't think the anger will necessarily descend to that situation. I think we'll kind of just remain this apathetic team. And that, again, might play to his advantage in that he'll have perhaps more time than he would have in order to kind of put his mark on the team and maybe get us playing a decent style of football. Um, all that being said, we're 13th in the league. Uh, are we playoff contenders or has that ship sailed? There's still the opportunity. Surely. Surely. Yeah, like, like this division's mad, isn't it? And all, all it takes is for us to actually click and... And yeah, yeah, we definitely are because there are there have been the odd occasion. Granted, it's only been in so many minute cameos where we have looked like a really good team. And I think if we can act a bit more like the part, then yeah, of course we are. We can, we can. We, we like you said it. I think on paper we have one of the best squads in this league we can do something if we got our act together i don't know how we get our act together and following on from what you were just saying there dave i do think that it's almost a little bit of a chicken in the egg situation where i think fans are uneasy because we're not playing well but players aren't playing well because they know that if they don't play well there's an uneasy atmosphere and we almost needed like at the start of this season a maintained propaganda war against the fans from the club to keep to generate like a a fortress mentality and I, I don't think that that's happened um I think if all things can come together which are increasingly less likely like if you were to ask ask me do you think Chris we're gonna get in the playoffs no I don't think we're gonna uh but I think there's every possibility because this league is mad Three three years ago, mm. it was when we were in our absolute best form ever. Nearly, I just checked fifth of December mm. two thousand fifteen. We beat City two 0 And then yeah. this... someone uh, suggested to us on Twitter doing the podcast, uh, but kind of just watching the games from that season and reacting to them <laughs> as we would. I saw that. At that time. A fantastic idea. I mean, I I bloody love that. Just, uh, let's hope something three years on let's hope we can channel those feelings channel those channel that football somehow out of nowhere mm. maybe we should just yeah. do a podcast where we only talk about games we've won <laughs> <laughs> uh, well this is a, a score draw this is as close as we've gotten for a while Chris we'll <laughs> maybe make the most of it um I was very frustrated by the game yesterday and I think a lot of the comments uh, certainly in our three-word reviews and stuff, a lot of the comments we've seen, there have been some kind of row-it-out uh, tweets, but there's also been a lot of just general venting at the standard of uh, football we're seeing. And I'm trying to contextualise that and say, look, we're not right down the bottom of the table. There are slow signs of improvement. There are individual players like Ince and Berahino who are playing well. Um, and I think yesterday it was more the case that we just shot ourselves in the foot more than uh, we parked the bus and just hoped for a nil-nil. It was just, you know, crap defending in two instances. 
And, but again, all that being said, I, I don't see Gary Rowett as more than a 6 out of 10 manager at the moment when we needed him to be a, a 7 at least. He's just... <laughs> He's not inspiring a good attacking style of football. What he has done is improve at the back a bit. But that isn't really good enough when I think on paper we have possibly the best midfield in the division. Um, we have some good strikers, maybe you know um, problematic strikers in that they're not very consistent. And we have a decent defence, which to his credit is... Helped improve, and the best keeper in the division, who may well, uh, you know, go in January, maybe. Um, so, if if this was the Premier League and we were underperforming to this level, I'd maybe be more uh, row it out than I am. I just, I'm just kind of waiting. I'm just kind of sat on a deck chair waiting to see where where this uh, cruise <laughs> ship takes me. Will it take me to the Bahamas of the Premier League? Or will it take me to a giant island of garbage in the middle of the sea? At the moment, it's looking like garbage island, but who knows? <laughs> there are some. There are uh, some positives, though. Like I, I, I think Tom Edwards is growing into a really decent player. Um, I thought that Ryan Woods every week is good, and I think Bruno. He's not a left back, but he's doing a considerable job there and he looks more threatening with crosses than Eric Peters ever has. So there are positives. As you yeah. say, it's really it, it, slow and steady. It's like watching moss grow rate of progression, <laughs> but, but but there are some things. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm going to criticise our full-backs, um, some people being quite mean to, to young Tom Edwards, I'm not quite there yet his crossing's a bit inconsistent but when he does cross well he crosses really well so um i'd just like to see him and possibly even martin's just overlap a bit more give uh mclean and Ince another option instead of forcing them to cut inside uh all the time but uh that's just maybe we will move on um a story this week involving stoke city's financial situation uh reported Losses that BBC Sport uh, particularly went to town on. I think I saw five tweets in a day from them talking about our finances. And also in the same week were Bet365 uh, profits being announced and the salary of uh, Denise Coates uh, making the making the actual proper news rather than the local or sport news. Uh, I sat down and had a chat with a football finance expert from the University of Liverpool, Kira Maguire. So obviously we've seen the story of uh, thirty million pound losses at Stoke City. Uh, how worrying is that in general for Stoke fans? Would you say? I don't think it's worrying in the short term because I think you've got to separate out two issues. First of all, is the club going to be continued to be funded? And you know, the the evidence from from Bet three six five that that will be the case. So if, if, you, if you can contrast Stoke to Aston Villa, who've had big cash problems over the, over the last summer, I, I can't envisage that being the case in respect uh, of Stoke. I think the second issue is, is that of FFP, and, and I think Stoke are fine for the next couple of years, because th- those, whilst it was a loss of £30 million, um, yeah, that did include some fairly serious player write-downs on, on players that the club signed. And now clearly, 
you've got the local knowledge that I don't as as to to which which turkeys you've bought and and mm. who the club effectively having to write down in terms of you know trying to get the money back on them. Yeah, and certainly uh, there's four or five names that that spring to mind right away. But um, so the the major losses, uh, obviously you mentioned player write downs being a, a a big part of them. Uh, also mentioned were player wages, which is probably understandable. We bought players for high wages when we were in the Premier League. Uh, and also dip in broadcast revenues. Um, why did that see a dip last season? Is it is it purely because Stoke weren't on TV as much? Well, if you take a look at the way that they divide the TV money up, you, you get a flat fee for being in the Premier League. Then you get... Um, an additional, it works out about an additional £1 million for every time you're on TV, if it's more than 10 times. Um, and then there's there's a there's a prize money pot, which is linked to the final position in the table. And that's worth about £2 million per place. So if, if you contrast Stoke in 2018 to where they were in 2017, you know, you're a few places further down the table so that's costing you you know two million pounds per individual place so that's why the the broadcast money fell um and, and as you rightly pointed out the wages rose um quite quite considerably you know it's it's, it's nearly 10 million pounds uh, the, the wage rise and it had been sort of uh, fairly constant the previous season um as a result of investing in players and that that didn't come off hmm. and how how sort of commonplace is this with clubs that are relegated from the Premier League do do they see similar levels of uh, reductions in broadcast revenues and player write-downs? Um, yes, I mean uh, Villa had a huge write-down when they were relegated, Norwich did it uh, similarly a couple of seasons ago um, and inevitably if, if you're in the bottom three you're going to receive less prize money I, I think the concern from Stoke's point of view is that in in 2018-19 because they're not in the Premier League it means that they're going to drop down into into the world of parachute payments so that works out as you're going to go from 100 million last season to to 45 million in the current season then to 35 then to 15 and and then you drop into the the football league deal which which we don't know what it's going to be because clearly there's a, a lot of a lot of unhappiness from some of the the club owners with regards to what the EFL have uh, have agreed with sky uh, so obviously this this story came about roughly the same time that uh, stories of bet 365s uh, profits are increasing, and the the story about Denise Coates's uh, extortionate salary. Um, given the the losses at Stoke, how easy is it for Bet Three Six Five to essentially cover those losses? Well, I mean, certainly as a business, um, Stoke City Football Club Limited are owned by Bet Three Six Five, so therefore those losses will be easily absorbed by by the far bigger business. Um, I think the the issue, as I sort of referred to earlier, is that you're going to be limited as to the extent of the allowable losses for financial fair play purposes. So cash flow, paying out the wages, that's not a problem. It could be that in a couple of years, if you're still paying out a high level um, high, high level of remuneration to players, then you could be on a stickier wicket uh, in, in terms of FFP compliance. But you, you, uh, Stoke City are fine at present. I mean, they, they 
they they they would they broke even they've been making small profits um in the last four years so under the rules in the uh in the premier league you're allowed to lose 35 million a year now that drops to 13 million a year in uh, in, in the championship and, and it's done on a three-year basis so you you've got 35 plus 13 plus 13 so you, you can make you can make losses of 61 million over three years by the end of this season and, and stoke city will still be fine so i'd expect the club to be within that uh for 2019 and probably 2020 i think 2020 2021 um is looking slightly more dangerous uh, you know, the, the club has also invested quite significantly in new players since the end of last season as well. And you know, if, if you're paying out big big transfer fees, then then they come alongside big wages. Hmm. So we we're kind of looking at a situation where the sooner we get back in the Premier League, uh, the better for all concerned. Um, one of the questions we had on Twitter was: Is our current wage bill and level of spending at all sustainable in the Championship? And and if so, how long for? It's 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 not sustainable long term, certainly. Um, but if it, we, I calculated that the losses in the championship in, for the last season we've got full records for. They were three hundred and ninety-two million. So it's you're looking at losses for most clubs of of between fifteen to twenty million, and then you get the occasional basket case such as Villa or Newcastle, who 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 both gambled on going up in one season when they were relegated. Now it worked for Newcastle, but it didn't work for Villa, um, and and they've got a, an FFP headache. So I, I think Stoke will be fine this season um, you know, you're still only six points off the playoffs um, and, and anything can go from there so it's uh, it's certainly nothing to worry about for 2018-19 and I think you'll still be in a, a relatively strong position um, the following season uh, I, th- I think two seasons down the line is, is where the, 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 uh, the handbrake is going to have to be applied quite, quite severely mm. and looking at kind of the championship and, and football league as a whole then are do you think financial fair play and parachute payments and other separate issues have they been good things for the likes of stoke who've been relegated from the premier league and do you think there's more kind of financial responsibility on on the part of these clubs with a few exceptions um in in the championship it, it's it's probably it doesn't really work because it does allow clubs to still generate huge losses. Um, if, because you've, you've got, you're allowed £13 million of losses, but then you ignore any infrastructure payments, you, would, you ignore your academy payments, you ignore your, your community scheme payments. So actually the losses could be in the region of you know, a, a good £20 million. So in any other business, if, if you'd lost £60 million over three years, you'd be worried, but that's deemed to be acceptable in the championship. So um, I think it's, it's it's a problem in the championship unless you have owners who are prepared to, to bankroll the clubs, as, as is the case in practically every club in that division. Um, where it has been a success in the EFL is in League One and League Two, where you've got a wage cap, and that seems to work far more easily um but you you don't have the problem in league one and league two up with the exception of sunderland of clubs coming down and having huge parachute payments and having huge financial advantages over the rest of the division so it's it's okay financial fair play but it is fundamentally flawed um in, in the way that it's being constructed and 
the danger is is that you end up with lots of fans of different clubs who don't know what's going on so are Birmingham City this season going to get a 12-point deduction? Are Villa going to get a deduction at the end of the season? There's issues with regards to Sheffield Wednesday and Derby County as well. And ultimately, as fans, you know, why do we go to football? Well, we, we go to football to forget about money and to forget about the day-to-day dreariness of, mm. of budgets and things of that nature. You know, it, it's, it's a pie and bovril and abusing Mike Dean, um, yeah. or so it should be, mm. uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and... Certainly when we came down to the Championship and signed the likes of uh, Tom Ince for £10 million, we saw a lot of comments from other Championship fans being to the effect of financial fair play is going to get you. Is that more kind of looking at other clubs' experience than actually knowing about the situation at Stoke? Yes, I think I think those comments are coming from a position of ignorance. Uh, Stoke have historically... Uh, been a well-run, well-monitored club. Uh, you know, even with the, the support of the Coates family, they, they've managed to turn a profit um, in in, you know, in, the, in the last four years before before getting relegated. And if you'd excluded those player write-downs, they'd have practically broken even last season as well. So th- there is a lot of leeway in my point, it, from from my observation and analysis, um, as to the the strength of Stoke City in terms of FFP compliance. But the club has certainly uh, gambled by going for the likes of Ince. Um, and you know, he will be expecting, as he's, as he's, you know, he's come down from a Premier League club, he, he will be expecting uh, you know, a level of wage uh, in, in line with what he was previously receiving. Um, and there, there's, a, there's a note in the accounts. It says, uh, subsequent to the year end, subsequent to relegation, uh, the club acquired and committed to player registrations costing £52 million. So you know, by championship standards, that's, that's a huge investment in, in the playing squad. Now, clearly, you, you've lost uh, Shakiri and, and one or two others to offset against that, but it's, uh, you know, it's still a, a pretty big uh, financial investment. Mm. Uh, finally, then, you briefly alluded to the new EFL TV deal. Um, from what you know about it so far, I know there's kind of a lot of unknowns at the moment. Do you get the sense that it's perhaps uh, more advantageous to... Uh, lower championship clubs and League One and Two clubs than it is for perhaps the uh, the bigger clubs. Uh, it, it is, but that's uh, that's always been the case. Um, you know, whether whether we like them or not, and, and there's not many people that do like them. Um, you know, Leeds United are a a big draw in, in terms of TV audiences, and so are Villa, um, and that's going to be to their detriment uh, compared to uh, if, if you were watching Brentford versus Ipswich, for example. You know, nothing against those two teams. They both play decent football, but they're going to be bringing in an audience of perhaps 100,000, whereby Leeds and Villa, because they've got a, 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 you know, a, a more... Uh, uh, a more well-known fan base and they've got a more national fan base could, could probably bring in four or 500,000. Um, so that's the resentment from, from those club managers. But if, if you look at the, the, look at the, sorry, the club owners, if you look at those particular owners, they're all pretty new to the game. And uh, you know, 
the, the, the good thing about the, the, the EFL deal is that, that clubs do have certainty for five years. Um, I, mean, I, I can remember, and you can probably remember as well, being in the championship when ITV Digital came in, and we all thought that clubs in the championship were going to be fantastically well off financially, and it went bust within 12 months. Um, so Sky aren't going to go bust. Five years is a long period of time. I think the issues where the clubs do have genuine cause for, for, for concern is that uh, yeah, the red button deal is clearly having a negative impact upon attendances and uh, match day attendances are far more significant to a club finances in the championship than they are for a club in the Premier League. OK, thank you very much to Kieran for that. OK, uh, more developments in the El Ceramico uh, situation. Stoke City have sold their uh, allocation for. <laughs> Sorry, right, did, did the did the thought of a Pottery's Derby cause you to, yeah. to sneeze? I just, yeah, I, I just, I was not prepared for us for it to be mentioned, and now I'm allergic to to the to yes. the checker well, trade well, trophy. <laughs> well, maybe maybe your uh, allergies are putting you off going to this game because it's going to be hard to get a ticket if you're a Stoke fan. We've sold our allocation for the away end already, and it seems like there may be more tickets to come. And it definitely will be the case that Stoke fans will massively outnumber Port Vale fans. Port Vale have around <laughs> uh, have averaged around five hundred and six hundred uh, in this competition. Uh, this season, obviously, a lot of League One, League Two fans have been boycotting it because of the under twenty-one sides being involved. Are we excited about the uh, Checker Trade Trophy game? And if you're not excited, why not? Because Pottery's Derby, woo! Well, it's exciting that there's a game on that so many people care about. Clearly, like having not grown up in Stoke, it's. It, it's 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 going to be the effect of having a local derby is less so on me. I mean, I can always say like, oh yeah, Port Vale the rival, and I would love to go and watch it. I I haven't got a ticket yet, but if if they if do if more do go on sale, then I I, I think I'll try. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a good game. If you want to go watch it, then then why not? We're struggling to get sort of excited about games, and here's a game that's sort of shouting at us and and saying like, this is a game to get excited about. I I wouldn't sort of punish anyone for getting excited about it I, I know that the competition has come under some scrutiny for those reasons but at the same time I mean I, we're not going to get on a debate about the whole competition again here but uh, it, is it the worst thing ever I don't know I'm, I'm not an expert on the whole thing but people sort of moan half the time about the FA doing nothing to to get the next level, the next generation of England players through, um, and and this is maybe a, an ill thought out plan, or, but a plan nonetheless that was trying to sort of do that. So, whatever it's tried, but yeah, it's it's a competition and it's a game that people can get excited about. Go and have a good time. I don't see the problem personally. I I completely agree with Ben. Uh, I'm not particularly a fan of them doing putting the B teams or the under twenty threes or whatever they are into this competition i do think that it's quite sad that this competition that that we've won twice you know um has been sacrificed in this way uh just because big teams won't give their young players a chance um that being said i'm not going to berate anyone who's excited about this game i think it, it is it's interesting i'd like to go 
I, I would quite happily be a hypocrite on that because whilst I don't agree with the the bastardisation of the Checker Trade Trophy or Auto Windshield or whatever you want to call it, um, I, when is the next time we're going to get a Potteries derby? It, I know people almost almost stoke hipster fans of such oh, it's not a proper one we were there when there were a proper one you young'uns you'll never have a pro- we we're the only ones who know about proper derbies which you know good for good for you but oh, just let people enjoy things you know if people want to enjoy it so be it and it's a no lose situation as far as i can see it we win oh we beat you with us kids we lose yeah it was us kids i mean yeah and and we mm. brought more people to your ground. Um, uh, it's interesting, and that's all it is. It, it it has no wider implications on the season for us. It isn't a crucial game. It's just interesting, and if you want to enjoy it, yeah, so be it. and enjoy uh, it, you know? completely agree with what you said. I, I too have you know made a hypocrite of myself of simultaneously not liking the new Checker Trade Trophy format and also being kind of quite excited about this game a Potteries derby that like you say is a no-lose situation and also we've got the added benefit of say there's 4,000 Stoke fans there Um, you you, you know that's going to be fantastic for the the young lads isn't it the likes of uh, Tyrese and the boys Um, well that's it obviously me and you me and you Ben went to the uh, FA Youth Cup run uh, when we reached the semi-final, yeah, and Still have nightmares about um, that. Obviously, uh, a very harrowing <laughs> day at Man City, but I'd also been to the game before at Deepdale, and it was it was just great for for them to to play in front of you know relatively big crowds in kind of games that meant something, whether it's a FA Youth Cup or it's uh, a Potteries Derby. Hashtag El Ceramico. Um, Chris is Chris is holding up a. <laughs> Downing some. He was holding up a Rotherham United. uh, Is that also windscreen final flag? Auto auto windscreen final Mm. Wembley. Old Wembley. uh, The wardrobe uh, behind me. There is a flag uh, for our Wembley appearance in two thousand. Just I'll just ask this now. Uh, if we got to Wembley, say our under twenty ones jammed it and got to Wembley, and and we were playing, uh, <laughs> I I don't know if they're still in yeah. it, Crawley Town, for example, would we go? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yes, hundred oh, percent. Morals? What morals? <laughs> this is the wizard you imagine, triple. You, you imagine? Imagine <laughs> that would, if we, we finished twentieth in the league. We, we've had a desperately crap season under Gary Rowett, but we win the Checker Trophy. But we win. <laughs> Look, look. Oh, I think how much mm. people would hate us for it, though, as well. Like, the, the first games. Yeah, oh, ruin the competition, and we'd just be there having a lovely time. I think we'd owe it, owe it to the listeners of this yeah. podcast to be there. I like, agree. Reporting on it. I completely agree. <laughs> reporting on it. See, that's made me a bit more kind of oh nervous about the Veil vale game now. I really want to go to Wembley with our under-21s. Okay. What stage are we? This what is stage the first is it against knockout round? So there's the. I don't know how many knockout rounds there are because there's kind of a northern we, section for a bit, and then there's the northern final and the southern <laughs> final. I guess we'll just find out. See how many teams. 
Let's see what let's see what happens. We can boil the piss off. That's that's the beauty, isn't it? We know nothing about the competition. It's like the Nations League, yeah. just end up in the yeah. final somehow through winning, and then you're there. I always love this competition. I never said a bad word about it. That is how it happens. Uh, bizarrely, uh, we've won this competition twice, and the following year, both times, Port Vale won this competition. Maybe, maybe it'll happen a third time. Mm. Who knows? But uh, back to the tedium of league first team football. Oh God, Derby County are coming on Wednesday. We could talk about them. Yes, Frank, Frank Lampard. Lampard. We could talk about them. <laughs> sorry, Frank Lampard yes. is coming. Oh yes. <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry. I'll, 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 I'll right, yeah. uh, start that intro again. Oh, oh God, uh, Frank Lampard is coming. Frank Lampard's Derby County are coming all the way yeah, from we... Frank Lampard, <laughs> right in the heart of Frank Lampardshire. And, uh, yeah. With with their Frank Lampard lights. <laughs> Frank Lampard Christmas-like jumpers. And... <laughs> okay. I'm not looking forward to this game, though, Dave. Okay. I'm not looking forward so... to it, because as much as I thought we put in a good performance-ish against QPR, it's just not going to go well, is it, this one? I'm not looking forward We're gonna to it. We're going to win. Frank... <laughs> We're going to win. Ben, ben, you know, if, if, we, if, we, if we win, you know, if we win this game Come on then. and we have a dismal second half of the season, but then we're to beat Derby again, like these, if, if we were to, to beat Derby in the two games, but then not go up, I'd, I'd, do you know what? I'd happily accept that. I think oh my God. Chris, season. I don't know what just, this team is you keep mentioning. Of... What, what's this team? D- Derby. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, shit. If if we could beat Frank Lampard like twice, it'd be great. Because mm. Frank, Frank Lampard fans really have got on my <laughs> wick this season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, tell you, this could be the game that finally endears uh, Gary Rowett to the fan base. Can you imagine that? Like 5,000 Frank Lampard fans turn up at Stoke and then... Uh, it's a prime shithousing from from Mr. Rowett. I mean, that would be great. Uh, maybe it. there may be a preview episode to come in the days building up to that game. But I believe uh, before I get onto our really fun, exciting quiz, uh, Ben, you wanted to talk about Leeds United. You went to Leeds United. Are they as good as everyone says they are? They were quite good. <laughs> they. <laughs> <laughs> They had a disappointing first half, first time at Ellen Road, I must admit, and yeah, I thought it was fine. I I, I actually thought it would be a, a sort of a more, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, sort of domineering stadium. Mm. You know, I kind of was surprised by it, um, yeah. and it's sort of very old, obviously. Um, but inside the stadium, pint for four quid, and it had card machine, solid. Oh, nice. Very happy about that. <laughs> Um, it had actually specific queues for card only. It was like contactless available on either side of the bar. So if you wanted to use card, which I did, you got speedy, you got straight through because I was less prepared than someone who had actually got cash out of a machine. I got an advantage. Anyway, the football. First half, pretty disappointing. Obviously, the last game they played, they got absolutely torn to pieces by West Brom, uh, who are looking quite nice. I watched them on Friday night as well. Um, but yeah, Bristol City were doing all right, um, but got a man sent off. I think he literally got two yellow cards in the space of like one movement from the ref. I still don't really understand what happened, but he did get sent off. And from there, 
Leeds tore them to pieces, basically. Bielsa took off one of their centre-backs. They had one centre-back on the pitch. Um, and they, as you'd kind of expect, I guess, from a team that is known for just just, just running rings around the other team, they just <laughs> did that with a 10-men Bristol City and ended up winning 2-0 quite convincingly. But I enjoyed it. It was, it was nice football. I mean, the one telling part of it was oft-times they'd be passing the ball about the pitch. Um and I thought, well, this is fine. They're moving it about quite quickly. Like they're, they're waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the opening. And people behind me were like, oh, they're going so slow. And I'm like, this, this, <laughs> this, good, this good ain't slow. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're not slow compared to Stoke. I'll tell you that much for free. Oh, well, uh, I'm glad you got to see a, a fun attacking championship uh, team then, Ben. Uh Mm. Are you considering switching <laughs> to Leeds? I no. mean, based on your accent, no. you would struggle to fit in. To be honest, well, yeah, I'd. Con- I mean, to be fair, we. This is become. If you don't listen to the Who Are You podcast, and, and obviously no one else other than the people on this podcast are in the group chat, but we always say that we always speak to Norwegians mm. slash Scandinavians slash some kind of foreigner when we go to a watch football <laughs> match for the, for the Who Are You podcast, and around me. At Leeds were loads of Scandinavian people. Didn't ask them where they were from, but they were Scandinavian certainly. And loads, on the other side, there were loads of Irish people. Mm. So, oh. I mean, maybe a sort of weird mix of Cockney slash Hertfordshire slash something else slang that I have uh, would be just fine in Leeds because everyone just yeah. speaks really weird. Very cosmopolitan city, well, Leeds. Uh, the uh, the Irish thing might be. Uh... A throwback to the days of Johnny Giles, of course. Maybe uh, Leeds have amassed an Irish following that way. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they they sound all right. Certainly, certainly more cosmopolitan than Stoke games tend <laughs> to be. Um, so yeah, Derby, we are uh, perhaps not looking forward to, but maybe dreaming of what could be. I think that's it. Thank you very much for listening to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, yeah, thank you, Dave. It's been a good, good time. <laughs> thank you, Ben. Thank you, one and all. A uh, few bits of housekeeping. There are more articles and things up on wizardsofdrivel.com, so by all means check them out. And if you want to support this podcast, it's patreon.com forward slash wizardsofdribble, where we have uh, kind of bonus content from our uh, World War One, World War Two special. And uh, we'll be releasing some episodes earlier up there as well. So go check that out and help support the podcast. Go on, Stoke.